playing on the television was news footage of the earthquake in Haiti. And my daughter pointed and you have to, you have to visualize she's pointing at the television screen and she's screen rather. And she said, mommy, you point at me have to go fix that point at the television. Hi, and thank you for joining us for episode 12 of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their best practices, stories, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. Our topic for today is nonprofit marketing. In this episode, we discuss what are the differences between working for a for-profit company and a nonprofit, the incredible sign that led our guests to work in the nonprofit world, and the difference that World Vision is making around the world. Our guest, Laura Dewar, is the Chief Marketing and Development Officer for World Vision Canada. Laura's long-standing desire to serve the world's most vulnerable children became a reality in October 2015. Laura's experience and extensive corporate skills developed over 20 years in the financial services and energy sectors have prepared her for major impact in the nonprofit sector. She excels at developing an organization's reputation, brand, and strategy while delivering strong results. Laura is honored to be a driving force in helping deliver results for children around the world and helping them reach their full potential. Stay tuned to the end of the interview where we find out what Laura likes to spread on her toast. Episode number 12, Mommy, you got to go help those people. Here we go. Hi, Laura. Thanks for joining me on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. It's my pleasure, Rod. Laura is the Chief Marketing and Development Officer for World Vision Canada. And, and how long have you been there, Laura? I have been in the role for 10 months. 10 months. So you're relatively mm-hmm. new. You're still... You're just kind of getting over that that zone where you're you're figuring things out and settling into the job. Yeah, I would say the learning curve here is incredibly steep, but I am I've probably turned the corner on being able to use the I'm new here as an excuse for anything anymore. Um, and I'm squarely into territory where people are expecting me to know answers to questions. And where are the World Vision Canada offices? Are they in Toronto? They are in Mississauga, as a matter of fact. Okay, and I don't know Ontario. Ontario super well. I have a daughter in Toronto. I should know it better than I do. <laughs> but uh, how far out of Toronto is Mississauga? So Mississauga would be considered part of what we call kind of the greater Toronto area. So probably, a tw- you know, 20 to 30 minutes west of Toronto. And that's, of course, 20 to 30 minutes is when we're not in traffic. <laughs> and then double that when we are in traffic. Yeah. But it's a, a little bit west of the city and tends to be one of the one of the biggest next major cities next to Toronto within that GTA catchment area. And we had a bit of a conversation before we started this call about things that <laughs> finding jobs and things that we've done in the past. We didn't get into specifics, but mm. what was your path like to your current job? What were you doing before you started working at World Vision? I have about 20 years of work history in the for-profit side of the house, to be honest with you. So I come out of financial services and energy predominantly. So I, you know, started while I was attending university part-time working in uh, a large 
Canadian bank and worked my way up there and then did some other things within the financial services realm and then moved into energy uh, at the time when energy markets in Ontario and Alberta and many in the U.S. were deregulating. So I was head of customer experience for a large North American entity. I then followed a CEO whom I'd worked with in industry into the not-for-profit space and did a three-year stint at one of um, at, at really what is Canada's largest faith-based communications companies, and uh, then left there. And it was the first time. That's that's the moment that we were talking about, Rod. That's the moment in my career when I departed a job without an invitation immediately to go somewhere else. I was literally intentionally taking a break and had decided at the time to return. I thought I had decided to return to industry, but as it turns out, life's journeys uh, take some interesting twists and turns. And I'm delighted now to be fully installed at World Vision and, and to be attacking the learning curve voraciously. I'm sure lots of people think about this from time to time. They're in the for-profit world and maybe they, for whatever reason, they were, they'd like to do something in the nonprofit world. What has the transition been like for you? I agree with what you said. I've talked to so many people in the for-profit space who would like to either make the leap permanently or have thought about taking the leap on a consulting type basis. So I'm always encouraged by those stories because certainly that was part of my journey is how could I take what I'd learned in the corporate space and apply it in this space to build something um, more, uh, let's say profound. And I, I don't use it like a judgment statement, but more profound than shareholder value. And I think the biggest um, probably thing that I learned in that in that transition was things do as you would expect as a person out of corporate move slower in a not-for-profit. So pacing is an issue. I also think that, again, it's not a criticism, by the way. It's just a different pace. And, and things do have their own kind of level of bureaucracy uh, when we're dealing in the kinds of realms that we are in the not-for-profit space. So there's a reason for that, but there's certainly some room to pick up that pace and to teach a new a new pace in the organization and a new cadence in the organization. I will tell you that the one really positive thing that I have discovered and learned that I hadn't contemplated before was, especially because I've been the kind of person that has driven change in organizations – what I have at World Vision that I've not experienced elsewhere is, is is the fact that people are there for a reason and a purpose that tends to be common. So when you're doing things like leading change against a common purpose, it's not that change is easier, but it's easier to find points of resonance around why that, that change is necessary. In corporate life where we had to, to, um, to drive or promote change, it's harder to find the motivators for people. There's a common motivator typically at a not-for-profit, a calling or a purpose to that work that brings people there every day, which is a beautiful thing if you can learn how, if you can learn what it is and lever it to the advantage of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's interesting. I can see that as you're saying that, that in a, in a, in a for-profit business, people that are probably there for all kinds of reasons, but quite often a, a non-profit is has a cause behind it. It's got a real mm -hmm. definite uh, goal or, or something that they're trying to accomplish or a specific group of people that they're trying to help in a certain way. It is, in essence, if you're paying attention, easier to create a rallying cry, which becomes the platform for whatever it is you're trying to achieve. To your point, in a corporate, you've got several potential rallying cries. 
Um, so it's, um, it's easier to get a team on the same page. It's not easier to drive change because ultimately those behaviors as human beings, we kind of respond in all the predictable ways you would assume, but, but the rallying cry is, is, um, is easier to identify maybe. Yeah, I'm wondering, where did you go to university and college and was your degree in, in marketing or was it in something else? I went to the University of Western Ontario in London and um, my degree is in English, a major in English with a minor in women's studies. Yeah, that's interesting. So many people that we talk to have some sort of literature or English background and ended up in, in marketing. <laughs> I think it just goes to show you how important it is to that, that English and, and having a degree like that can really help in crafting the message. I think so. I think the other thing that I've learned along the way, Rod, is that um, for me in hindsight, university was just a way to express the fact that learning becomes a lifelong commitment. Mm. And so it was an extension of learning out of high school. It wasn't predictive of my career. I, I sometimes worry as generations behind me are entering and exiting university with so much pressure to literally have career trajectory decisions made at such a young age. I, I have to tell you, when I entered university at 18 or 19 years old, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what I wanted to do when I grow up. And so it was really, and, and by the way, my parents did not attend university. So I'm the first generation in my family to be, to have gone to post-secondary education. So I also probably had poor advice, although in hindsight, I don't think it was poor. I think it was perfect. But um, I just, in essence, chose the program that I kind of did the best at in high school, which is, <laughs> again, not strategic at all. And just the way things kind of fell into place. But I and I had a love of words and the, the power and the beauty of stringing words together that have culminated in this moment where really, while my official title is chief marketer, I'm a chief storyteller for World Vision Canada. It is my job to engage Canadians in a way that is compelling and engaging. And by the way, something that motivates them. So by listening to them and then telling stories in a way that's relevant to them, I can hopefully engage them in the work that we're doing in a meaningful way. So it is all perfect in hindsight, but it wasn't, you know, it's not, it's not what you would advise someone today to do perhaps. That's a real common thing, isn't it? With the non-profit and for-profit world is, you know, so many of the things that we do online are all about telling stories. Have you found that as well? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think um, that, uh, you know, again, just so much of my job is really about how do I tell a very real, authentic story that includes the impact we can have when we partner together to do something bigger than ourselves. And the, the, the art of that, like there's a bunch of scientific and very technical ways we can describe that work. And please believe me when I say that I work with very intelligent people who are good at that, but the ability to wrap a story narrative around that and create something that becomes emotive, compelling, repeatable and inspiring. That's the piece that I can bring to the table, I think, and others on our marketing team, by the way, that again, create a story that can, that not just, that has more than resonance, it has momentum. Was there a story coming out of World Vision that just kind of grabbed your heart and said, oh, this is, this is why I work here? <laughs> I know, I know, I have mm. a friend who, um, 
who started an orphanage down in Guatemala and uh, his his wife sort of forced him to go to a, an orphanage and it was an orphanage for girls who had had been abandoned and abused and it was like okay that that's it I got to do something about this mm. you know do you have a similar story like that yes I you know before I joined world vision when I was when I was Last in for-profit industry, I was, my title was vice president of operations and I was at a small private Canadian bank. And, um, I came through, I, I came home one evening and my daughter, who was, uh, five at the time, met me at the door and she was uh, really urgent on this day. She was always happy to see me and I always got a happy greeting, but today was urgent and something was different. And she asked me to come to the den with her where the television was on it. And playing on the television was news footage of the earthquake in Haiti. And my daughter uh, pointed, and you have, to, you have to visualize, she's pointing at the television screen, and she, screen rather, and she said, Mommy, you, points at me, have to go fix that, points at the television. <laughs> and I said, um, darling, that, <laughs> I, that is a really big problem and kind of not what mummy does. Uh, but we can certainly, you know, find some people who do that and we can make a donation to them. So, you know, I start to talk to, I started to talk to her about what, how we could contribute to fixing that. And she was very patient and let me finish. And then finally did exactly the same thing over again and pointed at me and said, you need to go fix that. So then I explained to her how far away that was, thinking maybe she wouldn't want to be separate from her mother, right? So if I express how far away it is and how I don't don't really do that, I have no idea how to fix that, I would get through to her. So again, she waited for me to finish, and then she countered with, there's also a little girl on television whose grandmother died in that earthquake, mummy. So while you're there, if you could find her and bring her home, I have a grandmother and I'll share mine. Oh, wow. And I have to say... So it was that moment with my, my five-year-old daughter where I started to, and I was already in the mode, by the way, of rethinking what I was doing with my career. So some seeds had been planted before that moment. And so I don't know if this is meaningful for other people, whether you go looking for signs and wonders in your life. But what happened in that moment with my daughter is I felt like it was a sign that perhaps I was supposed to look more broadly than just a change within the for-profit world. And what was really interesting, again, you know, you know, other people will look at this differently, but what I knew between my daughter and I is where I was always as the mom, and she's only five at the time, but you look at it, your daughter, you look at your children, and you see nothing but a potential in them as a parent. She was looking at me and seeing potential that I didn't see. And so I had this beautiful moment where she not only stretched the boundaries of my imagination and possibilities, but it was like someone breathing life into me saying, I actually believe you could go do that. And for just a second, I let myself imagine that I could. And then it began this whole series of conversations in my life that transpired over the next few years with that initial move into for-profit, which included a portfolio, by the way, of relief and development work, and then ultimately culminating in the role that I have and play today. And so it's really like I have to attribute I, I, I would not be here today in this world, would not have been open to it without that conversation with my five-year-old daughter. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, no matter what people believe, there was there's definitely something up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were already... Yeah, yeah. You were already, and there's, there's a... 
Yeah, you were already there are forces alive in, yeah. you know, in the universe and otherwise, right? That that begin to point us in certain directions if we are open to them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that conversation and that interaction with her. Let's let's shift gears a bit and just talk about marketing and let's help people kind of get their heads around it first of all. Like some people maybe, I'm just guessing, they have a hard time thinking about marketing and and not for profit. I I <laughs> I understand this cuz as we discussed I work for a, a not for profit, but why does why does World Vision need a marketing person? It's such a good question. On a very practical level, we need to raise money to do the work that we do. And in order to raise money, you need to, you know, it's, it's, it is effectively to be crude about it. It is a product that we sell in the same way that for-profits sell products. How I look at it though, that it, to make it slightly different is there's a, there's a story I'm telling, uh, that helps people understand how they can engage in work overseas to fix big problems. So, you know, the notions of, of eradicating poverty, the notion of changing policy and laws so that children are protected and that we can end violence against them. If we don't market, if we're not out in the ether telling those stories, not only will we not fundraise, we won't drive awareness of problems. And awareness of problems is is hugely important. To live in our North American bubble would be lovely, but it would be a, a sorry use of the skills and the resources that we have at our fingertips to drive really global change. And when I think about it as a parent, by the way, I think about leaving a better planet for my kids. This is all part of that. And so marketing in essence is the ability, of course, to, to raise money, but also to raise awareness, to use influence, to inspire people to go do something different with some combination of their time, their treasure, and their talent. That's what marketers do. Mm-hmm. So to you know to make the world a better place, we need to. It takes it takes resources and it takes everybody pitching in a little bit, doesn't it? Right. It takes someone to tell you and make you aware that there's a problem that you can be part of fixing. And it doesn't take much, does it? Like when you look at the earthquake in Haiti, I mean, just massive problem or massive uh, devastation there, and and so many people displaced. But you know, when we all come together and just give a little bit. It, 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 it adds up and you can really make a difference to the people living there and to the people going there and helping on the ground. It's amazing. And it, emergencies do that. And by the way, Canadians are outrageously generous people. You and I stand amongst giants. It's very cool to be Canadian. Um, and we've seen the work uh, uh, that Canadians accomplish in various uh, places. It's the kind of work that wrecks your soul, knowing that you've stood side by side with people who have helped accomplish that. But I think... Ultimately, emergencies, while they create this very tangible, very urgent need, there are other needs that exist, like, you know, the millions of people who don't have access to clean water or the fact that child labor is a real and growing problem. And so, you know, the educating of Canadians and others around those issues and the the multitude of ways that we can behave differently and respond in order to begin to eradicate those is a longer process. Emergencies aren't easy, but they're urgent and tangible. And those other more sustainable developmental issues, even when you look at the humanitarian crisis, for example, um, in the Middle East right now, those, those, those are tougher, more complex things that take some time to unpack. So you've touched- uh, And so we have to be our most creative. 
You've touched on it a little bit. What are some of the things that World Vision is focusing on these days? For World Vision, one of the things that we do is uh, sustainable development. We accomplish that through child sponsorship. But within that, there are you know, several things that we accomplish. So access to clean water, access to education, um, health from a food security and otherwise perspective. So those are all things that we focus on. At the moment, what I'm focused on as our chief marketer is updating our brand narrative so I can help make those links between sponsorships and effective outcomes and impact and figuring out a new way of talking about ourselves so that for those people or those Canadians rather for whom sponsorship is not the ideal way to engage in things like the eradication of poverty, we're working on the development of new products that help to engage people who might be interested in a different take or might be motivated by something differently. So where we've always been known for sponsorship, I think what you're going to see us in the next couple of years develop is this new, fresh way of talking about ourselves, um, this idea of putting Canadians squarely in the role of hero in that journey to impact, and also the development of products that go well beyond the scope of sponsorship to engage people who just don't don't want the relational aspects of sponsoring a child in another world. Is uh, Would World Vision right now as we speak, there's a, quite a flood in... Louisiana, is that something that World Vision would get involved in or is that not something that that World Vision does? As World Vision Canada, we would get involved in that. I can't speak for World Vision US. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that as World Vision Canada, our expertise is squarely in international development, Uh, development um, and advocacy. So development, sorry, relief and advocacy. So uh, we, we don't tend to get involved with local issues. So for example, recently in Canada, we or in the last few months, we had the fires in Fort McMurray. Um, we were very happy to make available to our ambassadors and sponsors, etc. great Canadian agencies raising money for that cause, but we didn't step into that cause um, ourselves. I'm just wondering if there's anything else you want to tell us about your job and World Vision before we, we switch to our, our lightning round. <laughs> I'm sure there's many more things that I should tell you. It's, a, it's such a big organization with so much opportunity and it's new for me, right? So I'm hugely enthusiastic about it. So I could talk all day. Um, but, uh, no, I think, uh, I, I think that we've covered some great points. And like I said, I'm really excited about this moment for us at World Vision. There's a number of things that have changed in the last year that there. And I think that we find ourselves really kind of at, at a moment where we are at the forefront of a new chapter for the organization. And so I, I would say to people who are listening, uh, join us, watch the story unfold, give us feedback on what you're thinking, because it's only going to be better, this chapter, uh, with input and collaboration from many, many others. Let's, let's just finish this part with this question. You've been there about 10 months. What has been your biggest lesson uh, since you've been there, your personal lesson? That is a good question. For me, the biggest personal lesson has been uh, a leadership one, if that's okay. I I intentionally picked this organization to join. It just so happened that there was a job available. So that, that all worked out really well. I entered the organization intentionally and differently than I've entered other organizations. So I've had increasing amounts of responsibility in my career with various roles and, and titles and portfolios and that sort of thing. I entered here knowing that because it was a a not-for-profit 
that people would be as interested in knowing my heart as they were at knowing the competencies listed on my CV. And I determined early on that I was, I was, it was going to let it be okay for them to see my heart and my passion. And I also knew coming in that this was a time for boldness and decisiveness. And so I was going to operate with, with whatever access to good data I could get, but also let my gut guide me a lot more than I'd ever trusted it before. And I would say, I hope this is right. And I hope <laughs> anyone from World Vision who is listening isn't thinking this lady's off her rocker and completely misread the situation. But I, I actually think Entering the organization in that vulnerable place as a leader, letting people get to know me personally and professionally has actually been very beneficial in helping us to construct the new strategy. It's, I think it's quickened the development of trust. I think it's created new energy in the organization. And I think it's made people open to the types of change that we need to be willing to ponder and potentially chase. And so I would encourage other leaders out there that this this is a moment right now where culture's open to it, first of all, with people leading in this area, like writers like Brene Brown and others who are talking about vulnerability, who are talking about authenticity. This is a moment where culture gets that. And by the way, organizations are looking for it in spades. They're looking for some way that leaders are differentiating themselves. And that's a really cool way to do it. Good. And, and thank you for sharing that uh, uh authentic information about yourself. That's awesome. You're so, welcome. <laughs> we're going to switch gears here real quick. We, we do a lightning round that a lot of people do on, on podcasts. So I'm just going to ask you a few quick questions as we wrap up. And uh, I just preface this first question by saying your answer does not have to be jelly in spite of this being the jelly marketing podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> Because we're the jelly marketing podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast? I love peanut butter. <laughs> awesome. Do you go for natural or some other kind of peanut butter? Definitely natural. I don't I don't eat any sugar ever. So absolutely natural and I think it's fine just on its own. Yeah. On toast is great. By the spoonful is also great. <laughs> that seems to be our most popular answer lately is natural peanut butter. So. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what do you do to handle stress? So a lot of times I cook. I love cooking and I love entertaining. So I find being around people is very energizing in my life. I've got great friends that I like to hang out with. So that's one way to do it. I also love to swim and I've got access to a couple of places north of Toronto in Ontario, which means up by the lakes that are great places to go to. And then I've got an executive coach that I use in my life, which by the way is something I've engaged in in the last couple of years that has been literally transformative in my own leadership journey and my own life's journey. So um, I, st I try to stay healthy mentally by making sure I'm on track and accountable and that coach helps me with that. And then, you know, social activities and um, social outlets to deal with stress, just to deal with stress otherwise. Do you use an iPhone or an Android? I use an iPhone. Great. Do you have a favorite app on your iPhone? I do. <laughs> I have a couple favorite apps, but I would have to say that definitely one of my favorites is Bands in Town. I travel a lot right now, and I happen to love music. And so knowing what music is in a place where I might have a free evening is, I, I think, just a very cool use of technology. Cool. I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check it out. That's awesome. And you must. <laughs> 
Do you have a favorite <laughs> life or business hack to share? Uh, a shortcut, a loophole, or something that makes your life easier? Oh my goodness. I should have an answer for that because I'm a working, I, I work outside the house as a mom. And, um, so what I mean by that is I feel like I have two full-time jobs in life. One is being, uh, mother to Charlotte and William and then one having this full-time gig at World Vision. So I should have life hacks. I mean, other than takeout, <laughs> takeaway <laughs> at the end of the day, I can't, I don't know if I can answer that question. I, I think. How do you stay focused working at home when you're, uh, you know, with kids and, and other things pulling, pulling at you when you're, when you're in, in your home that you could, uh, other things that you could be doing. I think I don't, don't do a very good job of it right now, but I'm getting better. So it's one of the things that I've recognized in the last couple of years. Um, my life is not, I don't, I never think about life balance. For example, it's too hard for me. It's too linear. It's too symmetrical. I'll never be at life balance. My life is a messy blend of the roles that I play and that is just kind of part and parcel of who I am. But I recognize that depending on the activity I'm engaged in, in any one given moment, um, I can only bring my best to it if I'm fully present. So one of the ways I become fully present is to be curious. It is very hard to ask questions and let your mind wander at the same time. And so when I'm with my family, one of the ways that I practice presence or to get into that mode, if you like, is I practice asking them questions. And I have a nine-year-old son, and you have to be incredibly creative in coming up with a question that generates dialogue with a nine-year-old boy, let me tell you, because it is too easy to answer most questions with, eh, or yeah, or good. So um, I find that needing to be creative around asking them questions and really engaging in how their day was is incredible. And I will also tell you that with an 11-year-old daughter, it was amazing the moment she started to ask me questions back about my day. So that I find that a really fun, a really fun moment. A question we ask everybody, and this is a, a difficult one for you because you work for World Vision. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if there's something other than World Vision, another cause that's that's near and dear to you. We, as a family, believe um, that from a cause or a giving perspective. First of all, we believe that giving is part of kind of our financial strategy, and we believe in a local, national and international approach. So we got, we kind of think in those three buckets and we did really before joining uh, world vision. Um, so locally we live in a community where there are some really good programs for disadvantaged youth and the homeless. And those would kind of be causes that are near and dear to our hearts. Things that we believe socially are just responsible at a local level for us to participate in. Nationally, we're, big supporters of blood donation and the Red Cross and Salvation Army on a national level. And then internationally, my charity of choice is World Vision. Mm. Not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool strategy. And, and you involve your kids in that? Yes, we do. In fact, um, we, in, we involve our kids in a, in a lot in our lives. And so my son recently had an opportunity at his school where he – he could have a booth that was raising money for something and of his own initiative decided to raise money for world vision. So there are signs that some of that is starting to stick as far as becoming their own, which we really love. But yeah, that's, that's all incorporated in the language that we use when we speak to them. And last but not least, how can people reach out to you or find out more about world vision Canada? 
So worldvision.ca is the place for that. We're all over social media too, as you would expect. And for me personally, um, probably the best way to reach out is on Twitter. So it's Lara underscore doer is my Twitter handle. And I would be happy to respond to people that way. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today. I know you've got other appointments to get to. So I just want to let you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the Jelly Marketing Podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Rod, for the opportunity. Well, thanks again to Laura Dewar from World Vision for joining us on the 12th episode of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. If you'd like to check out some of the show links and show notes from this episode, go to the Jelly Marketing Podcast page at jellymarketing.com and you'll find us under the blog tab of the website. Also, be sure and check us out on iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. We'd love to hear from you, and the more people that give us a rating, the more people we can reach. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can fly Find easy ways to store your outdoor tools and accessories at Menards. Suncast provides high-quality and easy-to-assemble storage. Suncast storage sheds are the perfect solution for organizing and protecting your outdoor tools and equipment. Plus, their all-weather construction is low-maintenance. Explore all our outdoor storage options in-store and on Menards.com. And check out more of our great deals going on now at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.